1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here with you and from ZoneCoverage.com joining me. Many of you may have heard of him. It's Arif Hassan. Arif, how are you?
0: I'm good, man. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing really well. It's just never a dull day covering the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Arif's work, so make sure you go check it out. And uh, I'm told that Arif, you are working. Sources close to Arif have said that he is working on a piece about Case Keenum, And his uh, short and long term. So I want to talk with you, Arif, a lot about Case Keenum. Because it seems to me, I just get the feeling that we are not getting Sam Bradford back against Green Bay. And my guess is he probably isn't coming back at least until after the bye week. The way that things look right now. So the other night, Arif, uh, Case Keenum comes into the game off the bench. And goes 17 for 21. Leads them to a win and that's the second time now that he's gotten them to, uh, to a victory. Where do we stand on him if he has to play just these next couple of games? What the Vikings' chances are of staying afloat in the, the playoff race here?
0: Um, I think uh, fairly decent, but obviously, as with almost any backup quarterback, that's really dependent on what's happening around him. I think that those chances drop pretty precipitously if Stephon Diggs continues uh, to have an aging injury problem that will limit his ability on the field. I mean, you take a look at like Keenum statistically, and he's doing just mind-blowingly well. I mean, you take a look at some advanced statistics like adjusted net yards per attempt, at QBR, and they're like, oh, well, you know, statistically he's performing, you know, as a, t- a top-five quarterback. You look at PFF, you look at passer rating, top-ten quarterback, right? Um, and you know, I, you, I, I think anybody who's like watched you know Keenum play can pretty. Clearly, attribute that uh, to some of the superhuman performances we've seen from players like you know Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. I mean, the catch radiuses, the both of them. Or I guess radii. Uh, I'm a writer. I should get that right. Um, the uh, you know they've been performing you know superbly. Uh, they've been able to make up for a lot of deficiencies in Keenum's game, uh, and I think everyone kind of reasonably understands. Well, Case Keenum, you know, he's not a top ten quarterback, but the statistical profile is encouraging. Um, but if you take a look at sort of like the game-by-game game breakdown, even TFF was in like ninth, I guess. Uh, you take a look at his game-by-game game breakdown. Uh, you know, week two, he was the 26th-graded quarterback. Week three, he was the first-graded quarterback against a bad defense that was already very injured and got more injured as the game progressed. Week four, you know, against Detroit, he was the 14th-graded quarterback. And week five, he was the 23rd-graded quarterback. In week five, Chicago, 17-21, and two of those incompletions were drops. What's happening? Well, you know, he didn't pass over 20 yards. Right. Uh, and that, that's a good thing because, you know, he, he doesn't really have the ability. I mean, he's a very aggressive quarterback, but he doesn't really have the ability uh, to, to rifle the ball into tight windows uh, and, uh, and, and really make plays for his receivers. Receivers make plays for him, and right now that's working out. So uh, I think it, it depends a lot on the health of players like Stephon Diggs. I think it depends a lot on how the running game evolves about Dalvin Cook. Uh, and I think it depends a lot on how the defense does, which I think there's a lot of room for the defense to grow, which is nice. Um, but, you know, obviously there's some questions, too. I think that that's a good thing. I think that if you can say, hey, this backup quarterback, you know, he may be able to keep the Vikings in the playoff race, assuming, you know, a bunch of other things go really well. That's you know, that's a lot more than a lot of backup quarterbacks can do. So I'm I'm pretty happy with, uh, with, with Keenan right now, and that's a huge, like it's a 180 from where I was. Uh, during training camp or I was really worried about his play.
1: Well, the guys in the locker room consistently say that Case Keenum is a gamer, and it's one of those things that you kind of just roll your eyes. It's almost like calling somebody yeah. gritty or saying, we've got a great culture. You sort of go, yeah, yeah, that doesn't really mean anything. But for Case Keenum, it actually does mean something. And in, in the first preseason game, we saw him do it, roll out and find a, a receiver. I think it was Stacy Coley 30 yards down the field and, and made a big play in that game. And then we've seen him do it in a couple of games now, actually in real NFL action, whereas if you just watched him practice, you would not think that he, you would have a whole lot of chance to win games with Case Keenum in. So he does have some of that gamer mentality. And what comes along with that that I've noticed is, even though he didn't do it against Chicago, because they had a safety 25 yards down the field most of the time from what I could tell watching on the tape, Although you can't really see anything on Chicago's tape, but that's an inside thing. Only yeah, if only it's, <laughs> terrible. It's, yeah. it's unbelievable that like the NFL allows them to have game tape taken from where it is. Cause you can't really see it. But anyway, so they had deep safeties. Most of the time they were trying to take away the deep ball to Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs, Michael Floyd. And he kind of took what he was given lots of dink and dunk. And, and that goes to Pat Shermer and what he decided to do throughout that game. But what's, been interesting to me especially in Tampa Bay and even at times in Detroit is that Case Keenum has no fear of launching the ball down the field despite what it looks like which sometimes is kind of a punt but when you know that Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen are so good at adjusting to the ball and winning 50-50 balls if you could just get it in their area you've got a pretty good chance and you know there are other quarterbacks Sam Bradford sometimes especially backups, though, who are not willing to work the ball downfield. Now, you don't want them to get too cocky and start, like you said, trying to throw into tight windows, but I think it's a good thing that you have a backup quarterback who isn't back there playing afraid dink and dunk and allowing the safeties to sneak down or, or playing only just cover one the whole game.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, it's it's been a pleasant surprise that he's been able to mix a pretty good uh, dose of, uh, you know, aggressiveness and a pretty good dose of uh, cautiousness, taking, you know, kind of what the defense gives him, uh, which, uh, you know, I, I didn't really expect coming out of the preseason and uh, coming out of training camp uh, because you know, he was just, he was really aggressive uh, in, in those situations. And, you know, maybe there's just think that him being a gamer, to me, when a player is described as a gamer, it just means they're bad at practice, right? It's what we said about Tim Tebow. It's what they said about, you know, Christian Hackenberg, and you're just like, well, yeah, okay, I guess. <laughs> but uh, but I guess in this situation, I think that you're right that you know maybe uniquely for, for Chase Kingdom, you know that that really is who he is. Um, you know, and, and it's it's nice that you know the the Vikings can you know take a look and see you know, hey, you've got a, a safety single high deep, but he doesn't have the range of say you know Earl Thomas, so maybe we're gonna test uh, you know the, the sidelines where you've got you've got cover two, they're going to have, you know, a, a pretty significant no-cover zone underneath. You know, maybe we'll dump it off to, you know, Jarek McKenna or Kyle Rudolph. But it's nice that, you know, uh, even just, you know, those basic keys You know, he's paying attention to, but he's not uh, willing to just, like, turtle up if he thinks that that defense is just willing to, uh, you know, cover the deep ball or something like that. So that's nice. Uh, I'm a little bit worried sort of as as time goes on, you know, how he's going to react to pressure um, because historically, uh, you know, his response to pressure, uh, he is a little bit too aggressive as well, um, except I guess last year he was a little bit conservative. But, you know, for most of his career, um, you know, he's been aggressive under pressure, and that's normally been pretty bad. Um, so as that kind of ramps up as the season goes on, that's going to be a worry going forward, and that's going to put, you know, more on the defense. It's going to put more uh, on receivers that are probably, you know, not going to be in as good of a position to win, especially if, you know, that lingering groin injury is going to problem for the next couple of weeks for Stavon Diggs. Right. Uh, and so, you know, that's, something to think about, but it's nice that he adjusts the game to, to what he's seeing, which is better than a lot of backup
1: quarterbacks. Well, you mentioned Diggs and the potential of him being out for a couple weeks or being at least hampered by his groin injury. And I, I think about him as part of a collection of offensive players that was talked about as being far better than anything Sam Bradford had ever had. Like, obviously, Dalvin Cook was a large part of that, and now he's out. But if Stephon Diggs is healthy, then you have two of the top, in my mind, 20 wide receivers in the NFL. And that might even be a little conservative. When Diggs is at 100%, he might get up in that top 10 area. And you have an offensive line that is performing in my mind, extremely well right now compared to expectations, where I thought eh, maybe they'll be average, and I think this guy's going to get beat or that guy's going to get beat. It wasn't perfect the other night for Mike Remmers, that's for sure, and it has been a little rocky at times for Nick Easton. But as a whole, I think that the offensive line has been very good, and we talked about it for Bradford in his past. Well, he didn't really have any help in with you know Philadelphia or with St. Louis. It's kind of the same thing for Case Keenum, though. I mean, how much help did he have in Houston when he went 0 8 as a starter? Not a whole lot. How much help did he have in St. Louis last year? I'm going to say none. Uh, Case Keenum, <laughs> he gets to uh, he leaves St. Louis or uh, Los Angeles. Sorry, he leaves Los Angeles, and then they sign <laughs> and, Andrew Whitworth and trade for Sammy Watkins. He's got to be like what? You know, <laughs> so. This is usually that's part of the thing about backup quarterbacks is they usually if they are starting like a McCown for example it's got to be on a really bad team and this case case uh, gets to start uh, on a team that was actually they they invested a lot of money in, into building around.
0: Yeah, it is kind of weird to think about the the Vikings as this team that really has a quarterback from the cast because you're like. Oh, yeah, the fifth-round pick, this uh, not even an undirected creation, you know, a tryout in camp, those the starters uh, mm-hmm. at receiver. Uh, and then the guy who everyone blames for losing the Super Bowl, he's the right tackle. Uh, and then a the guy who's moved around a left tackle and a right tackle uh, that, you know, his original team didn't even want to sign back. He's a left tackle. Uh, and then you've got, you know, a couple of rookies in the middle. Like, like <laughs> you know, but it, it doesn't really seem like, you know, oh, this is an amazing cast, but I agree that this is – you know, a really good situation and probably a better situation than Case Keaton has ever walked into. Uh, and I, I guess, you know, based off of, you know, all of the arguments about Bradford, probably the best one that Bradford's walked into, uh, even if you listen to just half of those arguments. So, uh, yeah, no, it is a surprisingly friendly cast, and I think a lot of it has to do with the growth that both Thielen and Diggs have demonstrated, you know, over the years. And I think that you're right. A healthy Stephon Diggs, I agree with you that he's probably a top-ten uh, receiver when he's healthy, and I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, how he's expanded his ability uh, to, I guess, bail out quarterbacks and catch the ball. I think uh, was I think it was week one where, uh, you know, he caught a ball that, you know, I, I didn't even think, you know, any receiver had any right catching. Um, that Some people might have called offensive pass interference. I didn't, but, uh, uh, you know, he, he was just covered up by, by the quarterback. At the last second, he does a small push, creates a small window, catches the ball on the sideline. Beautiful. It wasn't even, you know, one of his top three yardage plays. Uh, that week, but um, you know he has the ability to create these catches out of nowhere that I think is is, is an added element to his game, uh, and and I think that really puts him in top ten territory. Uh, but you know we've seen that when he has been injured and he's played, and and he's had lower body injuries throughout his career going back to Maryland, um, that he's been a significantly less effective receiver. But the question then is, you know, if if his improvements when he's healthy, you know, show up when when you know he's a little bit more banged up, you know, maybe that'll keep him sort of. Uh, as as a big asset to a quarterback as opposed to, you know, somebody that you maybe don't want to target as often. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that kind of progresses. Um, but I agree that, you know, as a as a receiver, Stephon Diggs is probably top ten when he's healthy. And as a receiver pair, I think that, you know, Celan and Diggs are, have a really good argument for being top three. You know, the other two probably being Tony Brown martavis Bryant and Julio and whatever scrub lines up next to him. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, they're really in a good conversation, and of course, the Packers are in that conversation too. Um, but yeah, maybe not not as much as they might have been a couple of years ago.
1: Oh, poor Mohamed Sanu!
0: <laughs> Why would and you? Or Taylor Gabriel, depending on who's having the big week that week.
1: Yeah, 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 and probably having a big week because everyone's focused on Julio Jones uh, with uh, Diggs. His ability to bail out quarterbacks, as you mentioned, is his most impressive skill. There have been several times where there were just – you might call them 50-50 balls, but they were more like 70-30 toward the cornerback that were just thrown up that he was able to go up and get. And and that's usually a skill that people talk about with bigger wide receivers of climbing the ladder and going up and winning those balls. But, I mean, he's only 5'11", six foot, and he's often able to rise up and, and catch the ball over cornerbacks and make plays where – the quarterback can trust just throwing into one-on-one coverage and knowing that he's going to come down with it. And that to me is the difference. Everyone talks about the route running and there and he's a spectacular route runner and can get open against anybody, but it's the fact that he doesn't have to necessarily be open. That to me is the definition of, of a great NFL wide receiver. And if he is out for any period of time, not having that Michael Floyd, I don't think has that type of ability as good as Stephon Diggs to bail him out. But I, I do think arif that Michael Floyd could be a difference maker uh on this offense if he gets ramped up a little bit he played thirty snaps the other night and it would soften the blow of a slowed Stephon Diggs
0: yeah, I think so i think um if if you were going to time a Stephon Diggs injury it'd certainly be after the the michael floyd suspensions uh you know run the sports, which is nice i I think that it does soften the blow because uh, especially when you've got a quarterback like Case Keenum, uh, whose arm strength is not in the top half of the NFL, if I'm, if I'm being generous, uh, you know, you're going to have just more contested catches. You know, no matter how good the timing uh, for Case Keenum is, no matter how well he anticipates a receiver's breaks, even no matter how well the receiver runs that route, that kind of arm strength just lends itself to just many more contested catches. Uh, and uh, and in that situation, you do want somebody who has the ability to fight for the ball. And when Michael Floyd has been at his best, uh, you know, when he's been on his game in Arizona, uh, I guess very occasionally uh, with New England, um, you know, he's been able to he's been able to fight for the ball. And I think that you're right. It's it's surprisingly it's not as uh, as as reliable a talent for that as as for Stephon Diggs. Uh, but you know when he's on, he's on. It's, it, it is a really good ability, and he has the ability um, to turn a lot of those 50-50 catches or 50-50 throws into catches. Uh, and I think that that does soften the blow for, for somebody who does need a lot of help uh, from receivers. Like, he'll put receivers in positions to win, and then it's their job uh, to, to sort of carry it, you know, the rest of the way. And, you know, it's, that's fine in a backup quarterback, and when you've got the receivers now, plural, who have the ability to do that, um, you're in a really good spot, so uh, yeah. I think Michael Floyd to soften the blow. Uh, it is going to be a little bit more frustrating because it's going to be more fifty-fifty balls because he's not going to get as open as easily as dig, which is, you know, not an insult by any reasonable stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's not going to be as good at winging those fifty-fifty balls, and so you're going to be in you know dicey situations. But yeah, no, he's uh, he's really going to help out.
1: Well, and obviously Laquan Treadwell is going to play a huge role. Oh, no, wait. He probably (laughs) isn't. Um, We don't have to go off on that aside, but just it's almost stunning how much Laquan Treadwell has been ignored by his quarterbacks, (laughs) that having a wide receiver on the field as much as he has been to not get targeted at all is really surprising. And I wonder how many wide receivers in the NFL receive more than 50% of the snaps and right now have five catches? You would think that it would just almost by accident, we've got to dump down to a purple jersey, and he would end up with the ball in his hands. But that hasn't happened so far. But that's not what I want to get into. The running, <laughs> the, the, because I, I know you agree with me that this is, that's just, you know where that's going with La, Laquan Treadwell. But the the running game is yeah. something that you brought up as needing in order to survive a long stretch with Case Keenum. And the other night against the Bears, they were able to bust out a big run with Jarek McKinnon. And in my mind, that's what I had expected from Jarek McKinnon last year, but I think that the offensive line was just so poor he couldn't succeed. And if he's in for the rest of the season as the the top back with Latavius Murray not really making much impact – you don't feel anywhere near as good as you would with Delvin Cook, but this is what Jarek McKinnon, in my mind, is supposed to look like and what he looked like in 2014 and 2015.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you're talking to somebody who's been, like, the biggest Jarek McKinnon fan, uh, I think, in Viking media. I'm, I'm a huge Jarek McKinnon fan, and I absolutely agree that, you know, the how he played uh, against the Bears was kind of the height of his ability uh, and, and shows you what he can do. Uh, when he's healthy. But I think one thing with McKinnon is that he has kind of demonstrated that a lot like Stephon Diggs, you know, he's more sensitive than most players at his position uh, to playing to his health. Um, because one thing that uh, about, you know, Jarek McKinnon last year, you know, yeah, he was one of the two lead backs and one of the worst rushing offenses. You know, NFL history has seen for the past 30 years. But you take a look at those last five games where he was, you know, a lot healthier uh, than he was in the first uh, you know couple of games. You know, he's averaging... You know, 4.3 yards a carry. He's got many more explosive runs. last two games of the season he averaged over five yards a carry. Uh, and, and and he looks like a much healthier running back, and that's kind of who we had uh, against Chicago, uh, just a healthier Jared McKinnon. Um, and I think when he's healthy, you know, he can be that explosive back. I mean, you take a look at, you know, a really deceptive stat like yards per carry, and there's a lot of ways that it can be, you know, manipulated. You run out of third and nine, and you're going to get like eight yards. It's going to help you out a lot or or whatever, but you can adjust for those, uh, you know, situations. Um, I've been doing a lot of it with a statistic called yards above expectation where you adjust for down and distance. You take a look at, you know, his ability to, to, to generate successes um, and just take a look at, you know, is this one successful is it not. His success rate's fairly high. Uh, his down and distance adjusted yards uh, over expectation is fairly high. He can be a good running back in a lot of situations. Uh, and, uh, and even if, you know, he's maybe not as durable as, uh, as as other running backs, right now he's healthy, and right now he has the ability to really, you know, create you know pretty big plays for the Vikings. You know, his 68 yard touchdown run where he where he split two defenders, you know, that was pretty great. And you know, those two defenders aren't you know slackers or anything like that; they're a fairly athletic group of people. So um, it was it, it was nice to see because uh, I, I think that that's what he can do. Uh, I'm always going to be worried about his ability to catch the ball because, you know, uh, he wasn't a pass catcher coming out of college. He was a quarterback, and, and he's got, you know, fairly small hands, and it takes just a little bit more uh, for somebody with that profile to be a consistently good, you know, hands catcher. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that's the, the the role that he played in the Chicago game is kind of the ideal version of what he can do, where he is a threat um, to catch the ball out of the backfield. He's a threat to line up in the slot and catch the ball there. Um, just, you know... I guess he's fumbled as a kick returner. I guess he's fumbled as a quarterback. But he still has not fumbled as a running back. Uh, and that, to me, makes him at least a little bit more reliable than a lot of people think he is.
1: You know, I think you're really uh, out of line criticizing someone's hand size, considering, uh, I'm just going to say, <laughs> you don't have the biggest mitts that I have ever shook. I'm just saying.
0: Uh, they're, they're, um, they're... They're not larger than usual hands. Uh, when we've played uh, catch at the Zone Coverage Office, I've dropped quite a few passes. <laughs> I would blame my hand size for that.
1: Oh, okay. Did you ever see that Burger King commercial where the burger looks so big the guy with the small <laughs> hands is afraid to eat it? <laughs> that's, that's you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. um, that's me. That's me. Pat Shermer, I, I did a piece on him. I sat down with him for... I don't know, 15, 20 minutes talked about history of West Coast offense and how he's grown over the years. I, I mean, I, there's a lot of players over this first couple of weeks on the offensive side where you could say, man, you you the real MVP, to uh, quote Kevin Durant, you know, Diggs, Thielen, Delvin Cook before he got hurt. But the real MVP might be Pat Shermer. That, uh, I went into this offseason a little skeptical of how much he would be creative how much different the offense would be from last year, and I think the fact that they are two and two and have had the explosive—I'm sorry, three and two—and have had the explosive games that they've had, and then the other night where they had to adapt on the fly with a backup quarterback. I, I think it speaks to how well Pat Shurmur has done as an offensive coordinator.
0: Yeah, I think so, and I think it also speaks to how much he's grown. You know, we've both taken a you know a look at, at Pat Shurmur's career. Uh, and, and throughout his history, you know, he's had asked his quarterbacks to throw shorter than they might have in another situation. In fact, Sam Bradford threw uh, his shortest average of target under Pat Shermer uh, and then, you know, threw, threw deeper with, with other passing offenses. Same thing in Cleveland. Uh, the quarterbacks in Cleveland, not that that's, you know, a spectacular stable to draw from, uh, you know, threw, threw shorter under Shermer than they did uh, anywhere else. Uh, and, you know, it's just like a part of his offense it, uh, and I think he may have learned a lot from Chip Kelly, which that always feels kind of dangerous to say, but as an offensive mind, I think we can all agree that Chip Kelly at least has a lot going on there, uh, and I think that that kind of experience, uh, helping coordinate a passing game with Chip Kelly, has kind of expanded, you know, who he is as a coordinator. And I think we saw a lot of that, you know, this year, um, because he's been very reactive to kind of what's been happening in the offense. They've been Adjusting the offense for the kind of personnel they have available to them. When Dalvin Cook went out, um, they were able to keep the running game on track. You know, when Ted Bradford went out, they were able to keep the passing game on track. Uh, when Stephon Diggs went out, they were able to keep the passing game on track. They just, you know, uh, you know, funneled more targets to to running backs and tight ends, and not Laquan Treadwell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, nope, uh, not really at all. <laughs> I, just, I just, I just, that was on my mind when you were talking about Treadwell, but. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, they were able to—they were really able to adapt the offense to kind of the, that evolving situation, um, which I think is a huge credit to him. In uh, the fact that the Vikings offense is, like, I think they're, like, top 10 in DVOA. It's not something I think anybody expected going in, even with, you know, Sam Bradford potentially taking another leap and Dalvin Cook being a really good rookie running back. I think no one would have been like, yeah, it's a top 10 offense right there. The Vikings, known for their explosive offense, can't get on board, <laughs> right. you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, uh only that would be uh, opinions from 1999 that they would be known for the explosive offense. Yeah, right, right. Before I let you go, Reef, um I need a prediction from you. I know this is like your favorite thing to do, but uh opening <laughs> opening day 2018 Minnesota Vikings, who is the starting quarterback? Don't say Case Keenum, I swear. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Can I say 2019? Um <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Teddy Bridgewater, but you might have a mid-round quarterback, uh, you know, peeking over his shoulder. I wouldn't be surprised if you know the Vikings, who love Bridgewater, are not confident that you know after having sustained a series of quarterback injuries, that they can continue you know rolling out someone with uh, you know with an injury in an un knowable amount of regression or improvement after an injury. I wouldn't be surprised if it was, I don't know, Luke Falk or Chris Mix. I don't know anything about the draft. Uh, I just named some quarterbacks. I've heard of. <laughs> uh, I,
1: I would agree with you that I, I think it is uh, Teddy Bridgewater. But um, if I were them, I might keep Case Keenum around uh, just because he's been proven as a reliable backup that won't destroy your season. Uh, but it's, uh, it ends up being a really, really tough spot because I think with Bradford's injury right now, it kind of takes him off the table for a long-term quarterback unless he comes back at 100%, plays really, really well, and then you might franchise tag him and have both Teddy and Sam next year. That, to me, that's a, that is a possible outcome. But with an injury that was caused by nothing and to the same knee where there were two ACL surgeries – I just don't think that you can invest long term in Sam Bradford and trust that that knee's going to hold up.
0: To be fair, when you said an injury caused by nothing, I still didn't know if you were talking about Bradford or Teddy. Oh, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Whoops. Um, But I I agree that it seems unlikely that it's going to be both Bradford and Teddy there. Uh, I think that the financial, just uh, the problem alone. Uh, would cripple the team's ability to create, you know, the extensions that they need for, like, the second half of the of extension mm-hmm. that they want to get done on, on the younger parts of the core. Uh, so, you know, that'll be a problem. And, you know, depending on whether or not, you know, Teddy's contract tolls or not, which I'm sure is still an open question that a lot of people love to debate, uh, you know, that they'll they'll it'll be impossible, the financial liability, if it doesn't toll. Uh, and they don't have the 50-year option available to them, right. then they're going to have to negotiate with Teddy like he'll be on the open market. And while I don't think he'll get $28 million, like you could anticipate Sam Bradford, which, by the way, his franchise tag would be $28.5 million, um, yeah, it's rough. you know, cause, Well, the, the, the curious thing about that is uh, the franchise tag is the average of the top five quarterback salaries or 120% of your current salary, whichever is higher. And for someone like Bradford, it's the 120%. Mm. Um, so he would be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL for that year. I don't think they want to do that. Uh, and if they have to negotiate an open market with Teddy, even if he gets Mike Glennon money, that's way too much. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it'll be Teddy.
1: Yeah. I, I guess I was going under the assumption that it tolls, but that is uh, quite the assumption. It seems pretty murky there. So, well, Arif, I appreciate all of your time and your analysis. You can follow Arif on Twitter, though I wouldn't suggest it. At A-R-I-F-H-A-S-A-N. Arif Hassan, NFL. Throw an NFL at the end of his name and you've got Arif. Um, And uh, follow his work at zonecoverage.com. Great stuff. We'll look forward to that Case Keenum article. And uh, appreciate your time, Arif. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, and thank you all for listening to the Purple Podcast.